We return with a discussion of the Africa Risk Reward Index. And this time we look at the profit and pitfalls of polarization. From over 1,100 cities and 133 countries, Care Africa brings you the Good Morning Africa podcast. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial, and you can find me at Ritha Dong. The impact of the global economic crisis triggered by the pandemic, climate change and the conflict in Ukraine has exacerbated uncertainty and forced geopolitical changes that will redefine Africa's relationship with the rest of the world for years to come. In this discussion of the Africa Risk Reward Index, the discussion revolves around profit and pitfalls of polarization. Patricia Rodriguez, Associate Director at Contra Risks, is up first. A lot of the external engagement with African countries has been increasingly transactional in nature. So if we look at uh, the US, China and, and Russia in recent years, all have tried to expand and extend their influence on the African continent, primarily through um, financial incentives. So in the past year alone, uh, the Biden administration in the US says that it has facilitated uh, up to 5.7 billion worth of investment um, from the US into Africa, which of course is a stark contrast to uh, the previous administration under President Trump. And similarly, uh, Russia has hosted um, uh, African countries or African leaders in Moscow this year, but also um, on the back of a 2019 summit where it was pledging up to a five billion worth of investment over a number of years. Of course, that hasn't come to pass, but it does actually demonstrate how um, all these different geopolitical actors are attempting to woo African economies uh, through pledges of investment. And this is really coming on the back of the the conflict in Ukraine, uh, first of all. Western countries are looking to get um, more allies um, to either condemn Russia or to more align with their stance. And in the commercial sphere, this is uh, translating into some really interesting competition. There are two areas where this competition is is perhaps the the biggest. And one is in the energy space, where we've seen uh, particularly uh, European countries trying to divest uh, or diversify their uh, gas uh, their reliance away from Russian gas and are looking at hydrocarbon producers uh, in Africa to do that. And the second part is on critical minerals, which is really becoming a hot topic across uh, the world. Um, up to 30% of um, global reserves of critical minerals are actually found in Africa. And so we've seen African countries really taking advantage of this um, and trying to get better deals for their people and for their economies as this geopolitical competition for, for these sorts of things heats up. But as we rightly mentioned, you know, there are some downsides to it. Uh, we only have to look at South Africa in particular, who has um, who have made a bit of a misstep earlier on this year when they were accused by the U.S. of potentially being a conduit for Russian arms supplies. Of course, South Africa has denied that. But what followed after that accusation was a period of pretty strained uh, uh, relationships between South Africa and and Western actors. And this is particularly important in in the South African context, because as Jacques said, um, the energy situation in South Africa is, is pretty dire and needs quite a lot of investment. And South Africa has been trying to um, get pledges of investment and actual investment into its energy sector. And it's going to need Western support to do that. So by looking too close to to Russia, it potentially has um, 
um, put off a few investors. Um, and so we'll kind of need to re-establish or uh, kind of re-engage with Western actors. Um, and just a final point on, I guess, to, to the flip side of, uh, or trying to end on a positive note is to see how um, these moves by particularly the US and also Europe to some extent to decouple their supply chains from, from primarily China may ultimately benefit African countries. Sub-Saharan Africa, maybe not so much. Our infrastructure isn't quite where we need it to be, but uh, economies in North Africa do have the potential to gain quite a bit in this sense uh, from what they call friend-shoring or near-shoring. And we've seen moves by Morocco in particular to try and position themselves as a potential manufacturing base for the rest of Europe. So in, in some, there, there is um, a lot for African countries and economies and, and particularly investors to try and tap into these financial flows. But it will come with some potential downside risks, especially these elements of being potentially viewed too close to a geopolitical rival could cause some reputational fallout. So there is re this recognition that African um, economies, um, pot potentially exemplified by the AU and its representation there, do have a more active role as opposed to a passive role to play in the global economy, as well as in conversations on the global stage of, of, on anything from restructuring of global economics all the way to um, potential diplomatic interventions. Olu Damilar Adeshola, Associate Director at Contra Risk, discusses what these geopolitical changes means for countries, Nigeria and Ghana. Like you said, geopolitics is generally an important factor in the global south especially in what we're looking to, to, it's forming as a new scramble for Africa where there's an increasing competition for influence and bilateral relationships. But that being said, the extent to which these factors affect the day-to-day -day policy, economic climate, and even in the investment inflows varies with different countries. In Nigeria, for example, and to some extent, a lesser extent to Ghana, given the sheer size of the market, bilateral engagement is mutually beneficial for the countries and also for the geopolitical players in question. So it's quite difficult for a global player to sideline the country for going to bed with one of its enemies. But um, that being said, if you look in our report, we, we mapped the, ex the different relationships that different countries have. And you see that Nigeria maintains the closest ties to the U.S., um, although it still has um, some relationships, strong relationships with Russia and China. And this is the same for Ghana. And it's really just a function of the vastness and the history. Also, the variety of the bilateral relationships that these countries have with the U.S., where the U.S. remains a large source of FDI, development aid, security, support, trade opportunities, infrastructure financing, the list is long. And we do see China and Russia playing in a number of these spaces, but the extent to which they do is limited and has since tapered since the pandemic, especially in the case of China and infrastructure financing. With um, President Tinubu's prioritization of the mineral sector, it'll be interesting to see how Chinese investment in Nigeria could potentially increase in the medium to long. But that being said, we are not fully immune to these geopolitical trends. Like many other countries, we feel the pinch in the form of commodity prices. Um, so with Russia and Ukraine war, for example, we put a significant strain on the wheat market, leading to scarcity. In Nigeria, we saw about a 200, 200 to 300% increase in the price of bread in the last 12 months. And bread is a staple food. And so that calls, brings a lot of concern about the implication for poverty alleviation efforts. The country remains um, not self-sufficient, both countries, Nigeria and Ghana. And so when it comes to food and its reliance on imports, we're really looking into um, to that international market to satisfy a lot of our local um, the, the demand within our growing populations. 
So when you look at all of those considerations, on one hand, we have some independence and we're able to still, you know, maintain strong relationships with all the, the, the three um, ge- um, geopolitical powers that we have mentioned. But also, on the other hand, it still influences or still impacts us when it comes to the prices of, of our imports and how that affects our local market and inflation rates. And a quick look at the market. The market segment is powered by the Development Bank of Rwanda. We empower you. South Africa lodged a trade surplus of 13.3 billion rand in August 2023, smaller than July's downwardly revised 15.4 billion rand, but surpassing market forecasts of 7 billion rand. Imports surged by 6.3% over a month to 168 billion rand, mainly driven by purchases of chemical products, original equipment, components, wood, pulp and paper, and vehicles and transport equipment. Meanwhile, Exports rose at a slower 4.5% to 181 billion rand as greater shipments of mineral products, base metals and machinery and electronics were partly offset by declines in those of precious metals and stones. And a quick trip around Africa, the economy of Senegal advanced by 3.2% from a year ago in the second quarter of 2023 after a 4.7% rise in the previous three-month period, which was the strongest since quarter one of 2022. The expansion was mainly driven by primary activities, mostly agriculture and livestock, along with services, especially specialized scientific and technical activities, trade, finance and insurance activities, and information and communication activities. The industrial sector also contributed positively to growth rising 3%. On a seasonally adjusted quarterly basis, the GDP rose by 0.1% following a downwardly revised 0.5% decrease in the prior period. The economy of Botswana advanced by 3.4% from a year ago in the second quarter of 2023, the least since quarter 1, 2021, after an upwardly revised 5.5% rise in the previous three-month period. Finance, insurance and pension funding and mining and querying on account of copper and diamonds were the primary drivers of growth. Output also increased significantly in accommodation and food services, public administration, estate activities, construction and professional scientific and technical activities. On the other hand, steep contractions were recorded in utilities and diamond traders. On a quarterly basis, the GDP fell by 3.5%, the most in three years after an upwardly revised 5.7% rise in the previous quarter. Genomic startup 54Gene has initiated the winding down of its operations. The company started the process in July of 2023. By September, its website was no longer available. Founded in 2019, 54Gene was co-founded by Dr. Abasi N.A. Obong, who helped the company raise over $45 million across three funding rounds. The company set out to provide crucial genome information on Africans to help improve the drug discovery processes of global pharmaceutical companies. But less than four years into its creation, the company fell into disarray and N.A. Obong, the CEO, was replaced. Over the past year, 54Gene has had three CEOs cha- has had three CEO changes, including Ron Chiarello, who became CEO in March 2023. Chiarello left the role in July. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K-Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit the website, that is thekfinancial.com and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K-Financial and you can find me at the Don't.